MSW Media. Thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. Today, a federal appeals court has denied Trump's appeal to keep Corcoran and Jennifer Little's testimony and documents out of the hands of Jack Smith. The Manhattan District Attorney Grand Jury is on standby today after being canceled Wednesday. Communications between Trump lawyer Tacopino and Stormy Daniels have been handed over to the Manhattan DA. And Jim Jordan's attack on Alvin Bragg demands answers. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Hair on Fire Newsday. How are you? Uh, I'm good. My hair is pretty cool right now. I think we're going to be able to maybe dampen some of this just by (laughs) delivering the news and calming everyone's mind down. Yeah, yeah. And there's I'm like just now getting breaking news about the Manhattan DA. And I'll just amend that in the script as I get to it, because it's just too late to do a rewrite right now because it's happening at this moment. It's being handed to me. I don't even know As what it sounds like. Beep, 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 ships at sea. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's what we're kind of dealing with today. It's just an absolutely bonkers breaking news day. And also, Dana, later in the show, I'm going to be talking to the host of the Care Talk podcast, Laura Packard. We're going to talk about the 13th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act, among other things. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's try it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. I know it feels like the Manhattan DA is the big story this week and today even. But in my opinion, it's the Judge Beryl Howell crime fraud exception ruling about Evan Corcoran and Jennifer Little and their documents and testimony in that case. I think that is the huge news today. While you were sleeping on Tuesday night, the Trump side appealed Judge Beryl Howe's ruling, the one that she made on Friday. Now, all of this is under seal, so I'm doing my best to piece this together from clues from public reporting and what we already know. Here's what happened. The Department of Justice subpoenaed Jennifer Little and Evan Corcoran for documents and testimony in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. During their first testimonies, Corcoran and Little apparently invoked attorney-client privilege, and they handed over documents with a privilege log claiming attorney-client privilege on a lot of them, you know, or some of them. I don't know. Some number. Now, Jack Smith said, nah, bro, there's no attorney-client privilege here. (laughs) He gave prima facie evidence to Judge Beryl Howell, who until Friday presided over the federal grand jury issues in D.C. It's now Judge Boasberg. And the Department of Justice argued that their testimony and Corcoran's documents, at least we think it's just Corcoran's documents, it could be Jennifer's documents too, were not covered by attorney-client privilege because they were in furtherance of a crime. Or because they didn't meet the work product doctrine standard. They weren't covered by attorney-client privilege for some reason. We don't know what of, you know, again, this is all under seal, but apparently there was some of the stuff was in furtherance of a crime. Now, Judge Beryl Howell reviewed those documents in camera, just like she did with the Eastman emails, or just, I should say, just like Judge Carter did with the Eastman emails, Mm because Judge Howell didn't have anything to do with that. 
and ruled that some of the documents, maybe all, we don't know, fell under the crime fraud exception to attorney-client privilege and ordered them to be handed over to the Department of Justice. She also determined that the testimony that he would not answer and that Jennifer would not answer was, in some of it at least, was not protected by attorney-client privilege under the crime fraud exception and ordered Corcoran and Little to testify again. Now, according to Jose Paglieri over at Daily Beast and now Jackie Alemany, Howell actually handed some of those documents over to the DOJ on Friday, apparently. I haven't been able to confirm this. Team Trump appealed her ruling on Friday, and on Tuesday, the appellate court ordered Trump to respond by midnight that night and ordered the Department of Justice to file their response to Trump by Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., overnight, while you were sleeping. Trump's side filed by midnight. DOJ filed a motion to exceed the length of the filing limits, and they filed a 6,000-word response by 6 a.m. the next morning. That's like 35 pages. And so they've, they've filed their response. Absolutely unprecedented speed on that schedule by the appellate court. And Hugo Lowell reports that the speed might have something to do with the fact that Corcoran was ordered he had till Wednesday to turn over the documents. And so the appellate court wanted to hear this before that deadline happened. Then about 10 hours later, on Wednesday, the appeals court denied Trump's motion for a stay pending appeal and denied Trump's motions to block the Department of Justice from getting the documents and testimony, at least some of it, maybe all of it. According to sources, Corcoran is scheduled now to testify tomorrow, Friday. That is so fast. And Jennifer Little is apparently also scheduled to testify this week, per the Wall Street Journal, though they didn't say when. And the appellate court ordered the documents, which apparently include handwritten notes, invoices, and transcriptions of audio recordings over to the Department of Justice under the crime fraud exception. Caitlin Collins says, per sources, that Trump will not appeal to the Supreme Court. But even if he wanted to, there's no stay in place right now at the moment because the appellate court denied the motions for a stay to extend the stay. There was a short little administrative stay, which is normal. They asked for a more permanent one, Trump did, and they said, no, fuck you. Now, since there's no stay in place at the moment, the Supreme Court would have to reach in and issue an administrative stay pending Trump's appeal to SCOTUS if he wanted to appeal. But according to Caitlin Collins, he's not going to. And Andy McCabe and I will go over all of this with uh, NYU law professor Jennifer Rogers on this week's episode of Jack. That comes out Sunday. My questions, what the fuck does Jennifer Little have to do with this? She's an attorney for Fulton County. She's an attorney for Trump for the Fulton County case. Was she there helping Corcoran uh, on calls, taking notes? I don't know. What, who, why is she in part of this? And I'm going to ask what uh, they make of the reporting that Hal actually handed some of those documents over to the DOJ Friday before the appeal. And if that taints that evidence, I'm not, I don't know. But There's apparently, so much. It's, it's a lot. That's what's happening with that. That is a big first story. And we're moving over to Manhattan, the Manhattan grand jury that has been hearing evidence about Trump and his involvement with that hush money payment to porn star, as we know, Stormy Daniels. They didn't meet on Wednesday, according to two people with knowledge of the matter, meaning that any indictment of the former president would come Thursday at the earliest. Now, criminal charges against Trump have been hotly anticipated since at least Saturday when the former president himself, with no direct knowledge, declared on his social media platform that he would be arrested on Tuesday. But the grand jury, which meets in the afternoons, heard from a witness on Monday until nearly 5 p.m., leaving little time for anything else. Now, the grand jury, they meet on Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, and may hear from at least one more witness before being asked to vote. And that's according to people with knowledge of this matter. 
Now, because the proceeding is held in secret, it's unclear whether other witnesses could appear as well. Now, there's no indication as to why the grand jury did not meet on Wednesday, but the panel's not required to convene all three days each week, and scheduling conflicts and other interruptions are not unusual in situations like this. Hmm. The timing of any potential indictment is unknown at this point, and an arrest and an arraignment, the criminal proceeding, which is a defendant is formally charged, that's the arraignment, would not immediately follow. So we've covered this a little bit. In order to indict Trump, Bragg's prosecutors must ask the grand jury to vote whether to charge him. A majority, which is 12 of the 23 jurors, must agree to do that. Once witness testimony has concluded, prosecutors are expected to explain any charges that are seeking to the jurors before asking them to vote. With the grand jury not meeting on Wednesday, the earliest that is likely to happen would be Thursday afternoon. So the charges likely center on the way Donald and his company, which is the Trump organization, handled reimbursing Michael Cohen for that payment of $130,000 to Stormy Daniels. The company's internal records falsely identified the reimbursements as legal expenses, which is lovely that they have this proof, which helped conceal the purpose of the payments. That's according to Michael Cohen, who said Donald knew about the misleading records. He knew that this wasn't true. Now, Mr. Trump's lawyers deny that, of course, and they've accused Mr. Bragg's office of targeting the former president for political purposes, which is a bunch of bullshit. This case has been going on for four years. Remember that. In New York, falsifying business records can be a crime, and Mr. Bragg's office is likely to build the case around that charge. And that's according to people with knowledge of this matter. So we've been following it closely. We're going to keep following it and see what happens. Yeah. And here's some of that breaking news that just came across my desk. The Manhattan DA is considering whether to bring back Michael Cohen to refute testimony by Robert Costello. They may also call another additional witness to buttress their case before voting on whether to indict. And that's via John Miller. And you can see more at the CNN Situation Room in a moment. So that's happening. And then the Manhattan DA, you know, now we know they will convene the grand jury on Thursday afternoon. So and and that's to apparently get Cohen's testimony to rebut Costello's. Maybe Cohen couldn't make it back on Wednesday. And that's why we still it's a little unclear. But that's what's going on there. So all sorts of news. And in a related story in an op ed by Greg Sargent at The Washington Post. This week, Jim Jordan and other top Republicans sent a letter to Alvin Bragg demanding documents and testimony related to expectations that Bragg might charge Trump over the hush money payment. The letter declared this an unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority, even though no charges have been filed. But it's not clear, Greg Sargent continues, that Jordan, the Judiciary Committee chair, has thought this through. The course of action signaled by the letter, also signed by Oversight Committee chair Jim Comer, could go sideways for Republicans in very unforeseen ways. Democrats are examining whether a protracted struggle over the GOP demands of Bragg could allow them to shed light on the highly irregular nature of this GOP interference. Quote, this is an extreme move to use the recourses of Congress to interfere with a criminal investigation at the state and local level and block an indictment. That's what Jamie Raskin said. He's the ranking member of the Oversight Committee. He likened the aggressive GOP enforcement of absolute impunity for Trump to the kind of political culture you find in authoritarian dictatorships. Republicans treat it as a given that whatever charges are filed will be illegitimate. They haven't even seen the charges. They haven't even been filed. 
True, some legal experts see curious complications in the case, but as New York University law professors Ryan Goodman and Andrew Weissman detail in the New York Times, the Manhattan DA's office has regularly indicted people for falsifying business records. Those are the charges likely to be levied against Trump over reimbursing the hush money payment. Not charging Trump could constitute special treatment. And if the Republicans hold hearings on any such prosecution, Raskin said, this would allow Democrats to illuminate the charges in a very high profile venue. Which would you be sure? Lovely. You sure you want to do that, Jim? Quote, if and when there's an indictment, we'll be able to reconstruct all the facts of this case in a way that makes sense to the public. The aim, he noted, would be to show the justice process is working and there's no call for extraordinary intervention by Congress. Meanwhile, New York Times reports last month one of Trump's lawyers personally prodded Jordan, Jim Jordan, to investigate any coming prosecution. One of Trump's lawyers reached out to Jim Jordan. That seems like obstruction. Though that doesn't prove collaboration, congressional aides tell Democrats will seize on any hearings to publicly grill Republicans on whether they've been communicating with Trump's legal team, and if so, when, and how, and why. Good. Finally, what's the long-term GOP game plan here, he asks. It's likely Bragg will deny the GOP's demand for documents and testimony. He will. Republicans will then have to decide whether to issue subpoenas, which Bragg would likely resist, after which they would have to entertain holding a House vote on whether to refer that to the Justice Department. But do vulnerable House Republicans really want to vote on a criminal referral for law enforcement, all to defend Trump from sleazy hush money charges? It's doubtful. Doing so could yoke the House GOP ever more tightly to Trump. And as we know, the Republicans have been trying to unyoke themselves from Donald Trump for a while now. Yes. And speaking of these lawyers, communications between Stormy Daniels and an attorney who is now representing Donald They've been turned over to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, and this is from Daniel's lawyer. That's what they told CNN. The exchanges said to date back to 2018, when Daniels was seeking representation, raised the possibility that Donald, his attorney, Joe Tacopina, would be sidelined from his defense of the former president in a case pertaining to Trump's alleged role in a scheme to pay hush money to Daniels. Daniels' communications with Tacopina and others at his firm include details relating to her situation. That's according to the current attorney, Clark Brewster, who believes the communications show a disclosure of confidential information from Daniels. Now, Takapina denies that there is a conflict or that confidential information was shared with his office. He says he neither met nor spoke to Stormy Daniels. Well, CNN has not seen the records in question, but legal ethics experts CNN spoke with said that they could lead to limits being placed on the role Takapina can play at trial or even his disqualification. Now, the impact that the disclosure will have on the case will depend on the circumstances and the substance of those communications. This is from ethics experts. The scrutiny of Daniels' alleged interactions with Takapina and his firm, however, they underscore how the Trump team is already being thrown curveballs in how they approach the years-long investigation, even before any charges against Trump have been formally brought. So this is fucking up their defense at this point, because they're like, are you serious? There's more? Now, while there have been signs that the investigation is wrapping up and that preparations are being made for an indictment, it's not clear yet that Donald will be charged or when those charges would be unveiled. Brewster told CNN he handed the Daniels' communication over to prosecutors after seeing Takopina make public statements that Brewster believes were contrary to what's evident in Takopina's and his firm's emails with Daniels. It would ultimately be on the judge to decide whether the communications amount to a conflict of interest that requires disqualification or some other limitation on the advocacy 
Takopina can do on, on behalf of Donald if a case is brought against him at all. A 2018 television interview that Takopina did with CNN's Don Lemon that resurfaced in recent days, in which Takopina suggested he may have been in contact with Daniels before she found another attorney in the hush money matter, which at the time was the focus of a federal investigation. And this is a quote. I can't really talk about my impressions or any conversations we'd had because there is an attorney-client privilege that attaches even to consultation. Ooh, Yeah. Whoops, Takopina said that in a 2018 interview. Now, as the old interview clip began making the rounds again, Takopina's firm issued a statement this weekend that said, quote, there was no attorney-client relationship, a point Takopina stands by today. On Tuesday, Takopina told CNN that his 2018 interview comments lacked clarity, and he said that he referenced an attorney-client privilege in the TV appearance to terminate the inquiry because someone in Stormy Daniels' behalf did ask whether I would represent her, and I did not wish to discuss the matter on television, end quote. Went on to say, however, those circumstances did not give rise to an attorney-client relationship in any form. That's what he said on Tuesday. So we're going to see what's true about this because we now have records. Yeah, and that's interesting because, uh, you know, from what I understand from Hugo Lowell, he's not a lawyer on this case, but he shouldn't be able to, if his consultation with Stormy Daniels is protected by attorney-client privilege and he told Trump just as a buddy or on TV about conversations or things that he knows or details that he knows about Stormy Daniels that were gleaned from that consultation, that is a violation of the attorney-client privilege. So I'm not sure how this plays out, but like you said, we will know soon. All right. So that is the latest and the greatest. I'm just going to check my news feed here one more second. No, all I've got is it might start raining at seven. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) there we go. And uh, everybody uh, stick around. We have a lot of good news to get to and you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I was looking for something tasty that boosted my energy and supported my immune system. I take AG1 first thing every morning. Before I do anything else, it makes me feel unstoppable. I'm ready to take on the day. And we want to thank Athletic Greens for their support, and they're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com dailybeans. AG1 makes it easier for you to take the highest quality supplements, period. If I had to pick one thing to do to help take care of my health, besides getting vaccinated, I would choose AG1 by Athletic Greens. When I first started taking it, I was shocked how much energy I had. I started sleeping better. Even my digestion issues cleared up. There's just one scoop of delicious powder mixed in water every day. You can't beat the simplicity and effectiveness of AG1 by Athletic Greens. The stuff is phenomenal. So if you're looking for a simpler and more cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. That's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is the 13th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. And to celebrate and discuss the implications and everything that's going on around the Affordable Care Act with me is the executive director of Healthcare Voices and the host of Care Talk, the podcast on MSW Media. Please welcome Laura Packard. Hi, Laura. Hello. It's good to see you, my friend. How have you been? I mean, it's been we're you know we're gearing up for for all of this. We're now at the you know the 13th anniversary Affordable Care Act. We've got stuff going on in Texas. We've got a new budget. We've got potential indictments coming down the down the pike. Talk to me a little bit about the 13th anniversary and what's in store. 
Well, on the one hand, uh, it's been really busy because, as you mentioned, there's a lot happening nationally and potentially a ruling on the abortion pill and so much more. But on the other hand, it's a little bit slow because with divided Congress, uh, they aren't really going to pass anything anytime soon. So all the stuff that uh, we were talking about last year, uh, Build Back Better, which turned into the Inflation Reduction Act and making health care more affordable, is more... Uh, things that we think about and dream about and things that are likely to pass this week. So this is the uh, 13th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. It was uh, passed and signed into law 13 years ago. And uh, it's it's still here, despite <laughs> all of the attacks. Uh, it's still here. And so am I. Yeah. And some of the provisions uh, of the Inflation Reduction Act and, and the everything that has gone through the the Biden administration and passed and been signed into law in the past two years, which has been a lot of stuff. How is that coming to fruition now? I mean, we have seen, for example, that a lot of the big the the big three producers of insulin in the country have capped their insulin prices at thirty five dollars after Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. I, I think it was the Inflation Reduction Act capped it at thirty five dollars for seniors on Medicare. And I guess the the big three that produce 90 percent of the insulin in the country were like, well, in order to be competitive, we've got to lower our prices for insulin. Have you have you seen that and, and like some of the other things that were in those? Because, you know, once we sign a bill, it takes a minute for the stuff to go into effect. And now we're seeing that. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, don't give too much love to the big pharma companies because they haven't uh, wholesale lowered their prices on all their insulin. They're sort of cherry picking which versions of insulin Mm -hmm. and they aren't necessarily widely available. Uh, So the Inflation Reduction Act capped co-pays at $35 a month for people on Medicare. But you're absolutely right in that everybody else didn't have a co-pay. And uh, using his bully pulpit, uh, President Biden has shined a light on this and they've faced enormous amounts of pressure. Plus, as a part of the Inflation Reduction Act, if they raised their prices more than the uh, price of inflation, they had to give a rebate. So another part of their decision making on dropping the prices of these insulin drugs is uh, they were going to have to drop their prices on some of these anyway. But again, don't applaud them for doing (laughs) the, the right thing at long last and barely. Yeah, yeah, no, no awards uh, or anything is mostly praise on President Biden for using his bully pulpit to that end. But let's talk about Republicans now threatening health care cuts using the debt ceiling fight, which has just always been their way of cutting benefits and entitlements and or, you know, whatever word you want to to give them. I know that a lot of a lot of folks use entitlements in a negative light um, when when these are actually a lot of our benefits. But talk Talk a little bit about that, uh, because, you know, now we've got the Republicans threatening to repeal a lot of these uh, provisions that have been passed lately and holding the budget hostage. Yeah. So I think it's important to point out um, that the whole debt ceiling fight is the dumbest possible fight, (laughs) because this isn't about future budgets. This is about paying the bills for things that we already bought. 
So it's like we bought something at the store, put it on our credit card, and now the Republicans are refusing to pay their credit card bill. So this is not about cutting spending. This is about being a deadbeat nation, <laughs> which will uh, you know hurt our credit and our ability to borrow in the future. So they are willing to tank the economy uh, to score political points. And so various factions of the MAGA Republican Party have put forth different things like they they, they want to um, raise the age of eligibility for Social Security, for Medicare. They want to cut Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act. Like they're throwing things at a dartboard and anything people might like, they want to cut. Uh, but they aren't even all pointing in the same direction on this, too. So it's hard to negotiate with somebody that isn't even done negotiating with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that internal fighting pleases me because it, it, it just it shows the ineffectiveness of the party. And, you know, that we've seen it time and again. I remember when somebody said at a McCain rally, like, keep your government hands off my Medicare or my Social Security and, and you know, or my Affordable Care Act, not realizing that that is the same thing as Obamacare, that they will say good things about the Affordable Care Act out of one side of their mouth and then criticize Obamacare out of the other side of their mouth. So I think a lot of the issue here is really a lack of civic engagement and public education and awareness on what these things are and where they come from, right? Mm -hmm. And also uh, the Republicans are more than happy to mislead and confuse people. So uh, they they all made a a big thing out of standing up when Joe Biden says, stand up if you aren't going to cut Social Security and Medicare. But how do you define cut. So what the the Republicans are saying is, oh, we won't cut benefits for people that are on those programs today. But that means that you and me have a ways to go before we're eligible for Medicare or Social Security. They're more than happy to screw us. Uh, It's just they uh, the only thing that they have said that they would protect are the people that currently are on Social Security and Medicare. And again, how do you define cuts? Uh, they, They could certainly cut those programs and then claim it's not a cut. Yeah, or privatize them and claim that it's not a cut, which would totally gouge uh, uh, us and and cost us a million dollars more. And, uh, you know, well, billions, but, you know, per anyway, uh, a lot of money uh, because they tried to do this with uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs by sending all the veterans out to private doctors who can charge 115 percent of Medicare rates, who often have longer wait times than the VA and who, uh, you know, you can't uh, enjoy your prescription coverage, for example. So privatization isn't the cool thing that they, you know, that they like to, I guess, convince their base that it is it's because it's, it's simply not. It's when is privatizing anything made it made it better, uh, to be honest. And, you know, government programs, they have their they have their snags. But, um, you know, we have seen a lot of things just absolutely go by the wayside and uh, because of deregulation and, and privatization. Mm-hmm. And it's it's never a good thing. Let's talk a little bit about something else you're covering on Care Talk, which is the uh, mefepristone issue, the, the abortion pill issue going on down in Texas. And this pill is one of a two pill regimen. Talk a little bit about, uh, educate the listeners. Uh, I'm sure they already know, but uh, talk a little bit about what you're covering over on Care Talk with regards to this, because a decision is due any minute. Yes. So this is about one specific drug, mifepristone, which has been available for years and years and years. Uh, I believe that um, this is RU486. 
Anyways, um, you can take it on its own or you can take it with another drug for uh, an abortion or to manage a miscarriage. And it's better if you do the two drug regimen, less side effects, more successful, but you don't have to use both. And so anyways, these right-wing lawyers came up with this court case and they shopped it to their favorite right-wing judge in Texas. And he could potentially be ruling that the FDA can't approve this drug that has been approved for decades. And presumably this would apply to any other drug. So if any scientific expert judge anywhere in the country decided that they didn't like a drug, can they now force the FDA to take it off the market? So uh, we'll see how the judge rules. Um, It'll certainly go to appeal in the Supreme Court. But this is really dangerous because you don't want any of these these guys making your medical decisions and overruling the FDA. It seems like a separation of powers issues. Is that something that's being argued? Uh, yeah, um, th- there's all kinds of arguments. And again, it's it's a question of whether a judge should even be able to rule on the science. I mean, the FDA is the one to decide if, if a drug is safe uh, to distribute. And we really don't want judges to get in the middle of that process. If you have a problem with the FDA, take it up with the FDA rather than, you know, picking Joe Random judge to say he doesn't like your cholesterol drug. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when a pharmacists refuse to to fill a drug that's been approved by the executive branch uh, based on their religious beliefs, for example, or something that's behind the counter instead of over the counter uh, that isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily require a prescription, but they don't want to give it to you anyway. And, you know, my age, which I'm not going to. Well, I'm 49, but I don't take birth control pills anymore. But I I never understood why I just couldn't go and get them, why I had to have a prescription or why that they, you know, they would be, you know, so difficult to obtain. So, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of issues here. And and I know that here in California, Governor Newsom was like, Walgreens, if you're not going to play ball on some of this stuff, we're not going to play ball with you. So I really like that because, you know, California, we're such a big state and I mean, we're such a large economy that we can drive a lot of the policy uh, with our wallets, with our pocketbooks. So we did we do it with gas emissions, for example. We we buy so many cars that they don't want to piss California off with their emission standards when they create cars. So even if the EPA, like under Trump, didn't have great emission standards, the auto manufacturers are like, well, we have to make California happy. So I'm glad to see that our governor's doing that. Do you see anything else like that happening anywhere? Well, it it sort of depends on what exactly the rule is, how wide or narrow it is, and how it all works it through the process. But I think you're absolutely right in that, you know, progressives have buying power. If you if you look at the map of the United States and the red and the blue areas, the blue areas are where the people are and often where the money is. And too often, these businesses have been cowed by the idea of some sort of religious boycott without realizing the, the bulk of their customers uh, are are on their side. So I think it, it, they, they should pay a price if they are refusing to carry a safe and legal drug that millions of Americans need because they're afraid of some sort of religious boycott. Yeah, but then we also get Republicans screwing people in the rural areas when it comes to health care. We have a giant rural area health care deficiency problem in this country that Democrats continue to try to fix, like with the Rescue Plan and the Inflation Reduction Act infrastructure bill. Yet we see Republicans 
policies closing down hospitals and and creating healthcare deserts for a lot of their rural voters. Absolutely. And you can, again, look at um, Wyoming, for example. This year, they tried again to expand Medicaid. And this has been a fight for a decade now. Thanks to the Supreme Court, instead of this being automatic, states are able to opt out of providing health care to their working class families. And so some of the usual suspects like Texas, Florida, Georgia, they opted to not provide health care to their people. And then they turn around and blame Democrats policies for that. Oh, you don't have health care because of the Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one particular person in the Wyoming Senate that blocked it. And so you, you, you have these petty kingpins that, uh, you know, they don't like President Obama, so they're going to try to block his policy or they're trying to score points on right wing radio or be the news maxiest of them all. And they are causing harm to their own constituents, but they're never held uh, accountable for it. Yeah, well, that's sort of the Republican way is to cause harm to the American people and blame Democrats for it and blame the slow pace of democracy and that we need an autocracy. And to fix all this, we have to privatize everything. And I mean, that that's just always been sort of the M.O. of the Republican Party. Like, look how broken and damaged this is. They come in, they fuck shit up. They say, look how broken it is. Democracy doesn't work. You need to elect a dictator, a king, and we'll fix it all. And that's, I mean, that's just how it, and we'll privatize it and and then you'll be happy. Like that's just, even though there's like piles of evidence to the contrary, um, it's uh, it's it's exasperating, but I'm, I'm, that's why I'm so glad that you do the Care Talk podcast. What, What can we expect at the White House today? Well, uh, the White House is uh, holding an event to celebrate 13 years of the Affordable Care Act. And in Biden's budget, which he just released recently, one of the things he wants to do is make the subsidies that were in the um, Inflation Reduction Act permanent, because right now, this means a lot of middle class families can get affordable health care through the ACA and that financial help goes away in 2025. So he wants to make that permanent. He also wants to fix the problem of states like Florida, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, refusing to expand Medicaid to their neediest people. Uh, just fix that federally because the states are refusing to do it. And also uh, keep lowering the cost of prescription drugs, negotiating uh, even more drug costs. So that's in Biden's budget. Unfortunately, the U.S. House is not inclined to to do good things for people. So uh, the budget is a negotiating document. And so this is this is uh, where uh, the Biden administration put their marker, said we want this to happen. But unless we have better people in Congress, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. And they don't want to help people to their own detriment. Maybe they were maybe they slept through the 2022 midterm election, but. You know, what I can guarantee you is if they let us run on health care again in 2024 to make those permanent, those subsidies permanent, they're going to lose again. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. People love their health care. People love their Affordable Care Act benefits. And it's just so sad that so many states haven't even been able to realize the full potential of those benefits because they're blocked by sometimes a single person mm-hmm. who can take health care away from hundreds of thousands of people. So I hope that I mean, I I don't want to say I hope the Republicans fuck this up because it would be great. They could be heroes if they came in and saved this and then they'd have something to run on in 2024. But I I don't see that happening. And so I think it's going to make it very difficult for them in the future. But can you tell everybody where they can like find your podcast and follow you? Because there's so much really, really important information. 
I mean, even like I was talking to my best friend and she's like, ah, I can't figure this out. I can't navigate this, you know, care.gov website and all, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, listen to Care Talk. She breaks it all down. It's so easy to understand because I have a motherfucking PhD in public health and insurance and billing. And I sometimes have a hard time explaining how this stuff works. So let everybody know where they can find and follow your stuff. Sure. Uh, well, you can find me at laurapacker.com has links to the show Care Talk, uh, links to my social media accounts. And Care Talk is uh, our weekly show where experts answer your healthcare and health insurance questions. So you can text or call in your questions and we will get you answers in future episodes. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm so glad that you take time to answer those questions because a lot of people have them, including me sometimes. I'm like, I don't even know what this EOB uh, shenanigans that they sent me mean. Like, <laughs> it's just so difficult to break down. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Laura Packard, host of the Care Talk podcast on MSW Media. We will uh, have you back soon. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you have a what the mutt you want to play with us or a shit kid say, a shout out to a local business in your area or an adoptable pet in your area, or you want to pay pod pet tax with your beautiful pups and kittens and other whatever pets you have, oxalotls. <laughs> oxalotls. <laughs> Anything you want to send to us at all, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. First up from Dude News from Jared Shoemaker Jr. Correction from the other day in attempting to pronounce the name of the maker. A wonderful first try, and it's closer than you might think. Shai Halud is pronounced Shai Halud. The maker is also perfectly acceptable. Bless the maker and his water. Bless the coming and going of him. May his passing cleanse the world uh, for his people. If you haven't read Dune, I highly recommend you do so. For a novel written in the 60s, you'll find its striking parallels to today. Yahid Chuada, long live the fighters. And I'm glad that there was a uh, pronunciation guide for that as well. And I'm glad you got the first story. Moving on yeah, to the second one. This, one. <laughs> this one's from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. Hi from two fabulous thespians from North Dakota. Acting! I, acting! I'm here to shout out a local business. Oh, all right. Zandbros. Zandbros Variety in Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo, North Dakota is one of the best businesses ever. They are a variety store in the old-timey sense of the word. It's a magical place with antiques, new fun things, greeting cards, new books, hard-to-find used books, many first editions and signed copies, toys, games, and all kinds of whatnot. They also support local progressive causes. Pictures. All right. Last summer, their storefront window in support of Uvalde shooting victims. Last week, they hosted a postcard campaign to urge NODAC legislators, or North Dakota NODAC legislators, to vote no on draconian laws aimed at trans people and their medical care, drag shows, and censoring our public libraries. Yes. I'm seated in the center in a gray and blue hoodie. Last night, they hosted a book signing for a local author. They are not ashamed or afraid to be vocal in their support of our LGBTQ plus community, 
of women and their rights and of Black Lives Matter movement. I'm including a link to their website if anyone would like to support this, quote, woke business. <laughs> and the website is www.zandbros, with a Z, Z-A-N-D-B-R-O-Z.com, zandbros.com. P.S., they also have a store in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I've never been to that store, but maybe there's something other than Leguminati who have. Oh, some other Leguminati who've been to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And this reminds me, looking at these photos, First of all, this is so amazingly beautiful, this little shop. What a great store. And, and look at all the folks in there and dogs, pod pets, books. This reminds me of a of a store we had in Talmadge, Ohio, um, that I used to love to go to. I used to beg my dad to take me called Bumpus Drug Store. And uh, when it's funny because when they filmed the Christmas story and they talked about the Bumpus hounds, I always wondered if they were somehow connected to Bumpus Drugstore <laughs> because that was filmed in Ohio. So I was like, "Is this, are these the same Bumpuses? I, I was, I've, I've never been able to find out. I should look that up. All right. So let's go next to Christy, pronoun she and her. During the good news, you started talking about somebody's polydactyl hemi. That's a Hemingway cat. I was shocked, thinking I was being totally original with my two-year-old polydactyl being named Hemingway. Oh. After visiting Hemingway's home in Key West, I determined if I ever had a polydactyl, that would be his name. I so enjoy listening to you two. You have me smiling or downright laughing out loud on a daily basis. I appreciate the time you spend reporting the news and keeping us sane throughout this past several years. Please enjoy this picture of a Hemingway of Hemingway, a.k.a. Hemi, and uh, the one of a frog orgy. Oh, thank oh. you. Oh look my at God. The, look yeah. at the cat thumbs, cat thumbs. Yeah, these frogs are getting it. Yeah, go frogs. What about that left out guy, though? That's what's always with a menage a frog, right? You one say of them that, is, but you don't know if there's a frog under him. But one of them's always left out in the. Hmm. That's why people should not have threesomes. I'm telling you, someone's always going to get left out. Menage a frog. Menage a frog. Menage a ribbit. Okay. This is from Florence <laughs> from Rothenberg, pronoun she and her. My sweet old kitty cat, Shmooly. Unfortunately, oh, unfortunately passed away at the ripe old age of 16 and a half, wow. but he would have loved painter's tape challenge in classic kitty style. He preferred to sleep on very important papers on my desk. I purchased a fancy soft bed for him so I could get to the papers or at least not have them full of cat litter, <laughs> but he completely ignored it. Finally, I figured out that he would sleep in the bed only if I threw a few papers in it first. <laughs> The last photo is my favorite one of him. I live in a church and caught him patrolling the premises on my ring camera. Officer Shmuley was buried with full honors after a long and happy life. What a sweet baby. Aww. Aww. My Shmuley. Cute. So wonderful. I'm so sorry you lost Shmuley. It's so hard. Me too. When we lose our pets. But may his memory be a blessing. Next up from Lisa T. No pronouns. Hello. With so many people making tape squares for their pets, please warn your listeners that even the blue contractor's tape that's not supposed to mar surfaces will remove the finish from hardwood floors if left on too long. Ask me how I know. Snap your pics and then please remove the tape. Thank you, Lisa T. <laughs> Do you want to get this next one? I'm happy to. This is from Mary Pronouns She and Her. Hello, AG and Dana. My good news for the week is that I went to my first ever Bruce Springsteen concert on Monday, yes. March 20th at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. 
I've been a fan of Bruce since my childhood in New Jersey. The concert was great. The crowd was great. Bruce and the E Street Band played for a solid three hours. Damn. They even covered the Stan Bell song, Dirty Water, much to the crowd's delight. Monday night was magical. I'm an atheist, but I tell people that music, especially rock and roll, and the music that I enjoyed in my youth is the closest thing I've come to finding a religion in my almost 38 years of being alive. Whenever I feel discouraged and feel depressed about the state of the world, I think about all the concerts that I've been to and how an arena full of total strangers can come together to sing along to some of their favorite songs and dance in the aisles and generally have a great time. I guess music just helps me to forget about the world and live in the moment. And that is very well said. Mary, very well said. Yeah, it certainly brings back floods of memories. Um, And I I want everybody to check out a friend of mine's band just got the news that they are opening for Bruce Springsteen. Oh, get out. That's awesome. Yeah. Normally my friends' bands are like, we're playing at the Black Cat shithole down the street. You want to come? It's a dollar. But my friend's band is opening for the boss in Rome. And I want everybody to check them out. They're absolutely phenomenal. If you like the boss, you will love them. They're called the White Buffalo. Um, And I have a very good friend of many decades who actually produced my first music album. He was the engineer and producer on my first music album years ago, 2006, I think, is when that record came out. Oh, my God. And so they're called the White Buffalo. Check them out. I know you will love them. And thank you for that submission. I love the idea that music is religion. Uh, Next up from Jan, pronoun she and her. Dear Beans Queens, my wife Deborah and I are coming up on 25 years together. Congrats. And like many longtime LGBTQ couples have had several different marriage ceremonies of varying degrees of legality. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, I I know, my bestie for 27 years, uh, same, same Z. So, Jan goes on. However, since I converted to my wife's religion of Judaism in 2018, we have not been married Jewishly. Our cantor suggested that we might do this by getting a ketubah. Do I have that right? That is right. A marriage contract that is often an elaborately decorated and highly individual work of art. It's beautiful, by the way. Fortunately, we have a friend, Reva, who's a fabulous artist and calligrapher, and we're able to commission her to make us one. After consulting with us, she came up with a piece of art that was beautiful beyond our wildest dreams. It included portraits of all nine of the cats we've had over the years, as well as a gorgeous night sky, a tree showing all four seasons, and the two seagulls who had been present at our very first wedding, which was just her and I on the beach. We had called them our best bird and bird of honor. Reva dubbed it the Nine Cat Ketuba. Ketuba. Yep. Here is a picture of it below. I listen to your podcast every day and especially enjoy the good news and your charming and frequently hilarious banter with each other. Thanks for brightening up my day. And I hope this brightens yours. Thank you, Jan. This is gorgeous. (gasps) I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Look at how beautiful this is. Ketubas are always so gorgeous at the ceremonies. I love that you have one now. And the two seagulls, the bird and the bird of honor. (sighs) Look, there they are. Amazing. This is gorgeous. And I love all four seasons depicted here. Oh, this is so, so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, like my heart right now. I know. It's full of ketuba. Ketuba. (laughs) My heart's full of ketuba. It's so beautiful. And look at all the cuties. Okay. And I love that the birds and the cats are getting along. That's, That's very good, too. 
Oh, wow. This was a great, great installment of the good news. I, I love this. Say. I do. I loved all these stories. This is wonderful. And I also, listen, I, I mean, I don't know if it happens to, to be with the fact that I'm co-hosting with you, but the amount of LGBTQ stories that come through the good news, it's just making me so happy. So I love that you're sharing websites and stores and especially with everything that's going on with the politics right now and the community and vilifying everything from trans children to drag queens all of the positive stories we can get in sending people to support. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you, listeners. Thank you so much. A hundred percent. I concur. Thank you so much, everybody, for sending these in. If you have anything you want to send us, anything at all, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Um, and yeah, remember to remove that tape from your floor after you see if the cat sits in it. Any, any, any other final thoughts that you have, Dana? No, I think I already covered them, but I appreciate you. I think you did too. All right. We'll be back tomorrow when the grand jury meets to talk to Cohen and maybe somebody else. <laughs> we'll see what happens. And uh, until then, everybody, please take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take someone with you. Wisconsin, Wisconsin, take someone with you. Go vote. And uh, I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>